0: Welcome to Next Steps, the midweek podcast from Blackhawk Church. My name is Chris Cop. I'm one of the pastors here. With me is Pastor Tiffany Malloy. Tiffany, how are you doing this morning? Hey,
1: good. So good. Awesome.
0: We are recording the morning of study day, so mm-hmm. there is uh, like energy and anticipation in the building before uh, thousands of college students descend <laughs> upon the building and, and eat a lot of food. Um, and with us this morning, we have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Christopher James, who is uh, joining us from the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary in Iowa. And we're going to have a conversation about mission and church and, and Madison and all that kind of stuff. So uh, Chris, I can call you that this yeah, morning, do. right? Do. So uh, how are you doing this morning?
2: Great. It's a, it's a beautiful day. Yeah. I enjoyed the, the drive up here.
0: Yeah, it's a a good drive before it gets uh, a little shady later, I suppose, when there's ice and snow and all that stuff you got to deal with when you make that commute. So, um, well, let's jump in. We're really excited for this conversation and uh, we just wrapped up this series that's been uh, several months long going through the book of Acts and especially the last six weeks or so talking about evangelism and mission and what that can look like in our own lives and for us as a church. So we're going to press into that. Um, You'll hear a little bit more uh, about the unique work that Chris has been doing in in Madison in just a little bit. Uh, But let's spend just a moment, uh, Chris, if we can, just getting to know you a little bit. So you're the Associate Professor of Evangelism and Missional Christianity. Um, I think that's a longer job title than anyone around here has. That's 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 nice. Uh, at the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary in Iowa, it's about an hour and a half away. Um, and for a while now, you've been doing a lot of work and research in Madison and Dane County. So, um, Chris, maybe just tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you've been up to here in Madison.
2: Happy to. Well, I, I guess. Uh, I'm a white guy in my early 40s, and I live in Dubuque, uh, but I grew up in the, the suburbs of the Seattle area in the uh, sub Christian subcultures there. Uh, went off to Wheaton College, back to Seattle, working in a church, down to uh, Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, and then up to the uh, church in the San Francisco Bay Area before um, heading to Boston, where I did uh, PhD work. So, I mean, I, I don't think you need my travelogue so much as to share. I've lived in a number of these, these bigger coastal, uh, secular kinds of cities, and that's certainly part of my uh, formation. Uh, wife and a couple of kids, We, as you said, oh, a dog named Theophilus Monk. <laughs> oh, what um, a name. Yeah, well done. Yeah, the Theophilus, of, of course, referring to the, the, the Book of Luke, mm-hmm. uh, right. is written to dear Theophilus. Um, anyway, and yeah, so that, that's... Where that's a little bit about me. My my work uh, at the seminary is I get to teach classes uh, at the sort of intersection of mission and culture, and really love my work. Been there about seven years now.
0: Awesome. Isn't there is there a band or an artist called Thelonious Monk? Is oh, that where the name? Yeah, comes there's from? there's Thelonious Monk who was an old jazz musician yeah. way back, and
2: there's con- a contemporary uh, comedian named Thelonious Monk. Okay, but uh, <laughs> yeah. We just, just love sort of the, the mashup there. Yeah, It's a burnadoodle for anybody who has, mm-hmm. you know, nice. poodle mixes. Wonderful yeah. puppy, COVID puppy. So, Yeah,
0: that's awesome. So um, you've also been doing a lot of work and uh, research here in Madison and Dane County. So can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm a professor and a scholar, but really my heart is for the church. And so the kind of classes I get to teach allow me to do that. Um, and one of those classes, uh, I've been bringing students as a part of a class called Gospel in Context into Dane County uh, every August since 2017, Mm. uh, where we spend a couple of days in a rural community and a couple days in an urban neighborhood of the county uh, talking with pastors, but also reporters and local elected officials (laughs) and business owners and whomever else we can sort of uh, line up to do some contextual exegesis and also reflect on the ways that the the church in multiple denominational expressions is sort of living out uh, a faithful witness uh, to that context, So that's, that's sort of how I first got my toes uh, yeah. into Dane County, uh, and that has developed into a number of things. So I, I've been doing this research, which you mentioned under the, the title, the Dane Churches Project, with that class, collecting interviews along the way, uh, but also have done a fair amount of s- uh, survey work. So I uh, gave a report on sort of uh, survey work that I did a couple of years ago. Just really trying to get a sense, and this is this goes to sort of my overall interest is in not just what makes for a thriving church but what makes for a thriving ecology of churches mm. in a place uh, and particularly in a place uh, where there's a increasing sort of post christian um, or secular sort of uh, cultural mm. vibe so That research and that class have allowed me to sort of paint a picture of sort of the state of the church of Dane County rather than just all the churches.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, And as a part of sort of in response to that and and through a couple of Lilly Grants have been involved in a couple of projects. I'll just describe them briefly here. One of them started, I think, in 2019 uh, and is called, maybe it was 2020, um, Missio Madison. Missio, of course, being the Latin word for sent. Mm -hmm. So sort of this invitation to... The, the church to see itself as having, having been sent to this place. And in Missio Madison, uh, we've been bringing together cohorts of missional practitioners, so some pastors, some, some lay people, people in nonprofits, to go on an eight-month cohort journey asking the three big questions any missionary needs to ask, where are we, what's God up to? and how do we join? Mm. Uh, So we've been doing that uh, now in our our third cohort. We've had 30-something different folks from a really diverse range of churches um, participate in that. And and part of that journey is not just like, let me teach these pastors. It's actually a lot about building the sort of relationships and trust and uh, facilitating the discernment of these leaders around those questions together. I mean, I really am a, a big believer in discernment benefiting from the wisdom of the whole body, Um, not just the whole local church, but the whole uh, regional body here that knows this place and is is seeking to be faithful Mm. to God. So that's been really, really rich work, Um, Missio Madison. And then more recently, in partnership with the Wisconsin Council of Churches and Collaboration Project and Upper House, um, myself uh, on behalf of the University of Dubuque Theological Seminary have been leading a project... Also, both of these are funded by the Lily Endowment, um, a project called Awaken Dane, mm-hmm. which has a similar sort of um, heartbeat as Missio Madison. It's, it's broadly inclusive of, of the diversity of the church. It's inviting pastors into groups and uh, cohorts for discernment work, but it has the additional element of bringing congregations um, into that process, mm-hmm. not just the leaders. So churches that are participating in Awaken Dane are committed to a two-year process alongside Their congregation and um, other churches. So we're just a few months into our first cohort there. I think we've got eight or so churches that are committed for this first uh, two-year cycle. We'll launch another one in September. Um, And yeah, that's again, it's contributing to the overall ecclesial ecology. It's focused on how the church can better know and love its place. So in addition to sort of the ways these churches are reflecting on their own neighborhoods and the neighborhoods where their people live. We're having a couple events every year that sort of tackle a big co- context issue. So, actually, coming up in January, we have a, a themed plenary around belonging or the crisis of belonging. Parker Palmer is going to be our Artino mm-hmm. speaker, and again, we'll have uh, these leaders and folks from their churches reflecting on what this means for their mission mm-hmm. in this place. So, those are the those are the things I've been doing here. It's really been fun um, having moved from, like I said, those those bigger Coastal cities, and now living in a, a city of 60,000 people, which Dubuque is actually wonderfully delightful for mm. those who might not know it. But um, Madison feels a little bit more familiar to me uh, <laughs> having lived in those those other places. And also, every time I'm here, I can buy Indian
0: food, something I cannot do, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> something I cannot do <laughs> at home. I don't have so. that in Dubuque, huh? oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, Chris, I feel like you're not working hard enough. Like you need another project (laughs) or two to add to your list. Uh, wow. Yeah. You've been busy. Um, and we'll probably say this several times, but, um, I know we around here at Blackhawk are just grateful for the work that you're doing, um, in Madison and the ways that it's impacting the church here. So, um, uh, I feel like I have a ton of follow-up questions (laughs) that I could ask just from that introduction, but, um, you've mentioned the phrase like an ecology of churches a couple times. So, Um, what is it, uh, in your mind or what have you seen that like, as maybe explain that a little bit more, but as we work together as yeah. churches, yeah. um, how have you seen that be more impactful than just kind of being in our own silos and just speak more to that maybe a little bit.
2: Sure. Sure. Well, actually we're in a, a really interesting, uh, moment as denominational identity and strength declines as uh, Christian affiliation declines. I mean, this is putting new pressures on sort of Christians of all types um, and one of the things that's emerging, and it's it's happening here too, uh, through collaboration project across the country in many cities like this, are these new, um, sometimes they're called city gospel movements or mm-hmm. or city networks that are that are bringing churches together to deliberately engage and often uh, primarily focus on serving the city. So that's one dimension of what i'm what I'm thinking of. I mean, a lot of where I'm actually fo- my interest on, ecclesial ecologies, as I call them in my writing, come from both theological and sociological sources. So I'm trained as a practical theologian, which means mm-hmm. in addition to sort of being rooted in uh, Scripture and the theological traditions, I'm sort of better than an amateur sociologist, so put it that way. <laughs> um, and in, so I'll tell you just very briefly about the theological roots. I mean, when Paul is writing to the Church, he's writing to the Church in Philippi, all God's beloved mm-hmm. in this city. Um, he's not writing to that local congregation, this local congregation. He, of course, things were simpler then, um, but that really stakes out, you know, sort of the, the biblical paradigm, stakes out an, an understanding of what the church is based not on its local congregations, but both based on its place. Sure. So for me, theologically, the church is God's people in the place. And the congregations are an expression of that deeper, um, what it really means to be church. It is the you know God's people, followers of Jesus— in a geography, and in, in a cultural context. So so that's sort of a theological starting place for me. Is, yeah. um, I'm interested in, and I take it for granted that God is at work in all these different congregations and expressions, and of course there are differences in irre- irreconcilable sorts of theological or, or sociological uh, uh, ways they're coming at things. I'm not saying they're all identical or compatible necessarily, but I take it sort of as uh, an assumption that the Spirit's at work. Mm. These people, um, b- by and large, are doing their best to be faithful. And as a result, they are kin um, mm. to one another, whether mm. they recognize it or not in Christ. Mm. And so that's sort of the theological starting point. Um, sociologically, um, there's this whole uh, sort of subdiscipline of uh, institutional ecology that looks at the ways that organizations are related to one another. Um, The old paradigms are sort of thinking about how organizations, businesses are strictly in a competitive relationship Mm. to one another. Uh, An economy Mm. would be sort of the old Mm. metaphor for uh, how congregations are related to one another. They're competing for resources, et cetera. But a newer paradigm, and this is one that's uh, developed by one of my doctoral uh, advisors, Nancy Ammerman, is an ecological model for understanding Mm. the ways that organizations or institutions are related to one another. And it actually, I mean, it fits much better for the ways that churches are related to one another. Um, and it, it introduces not only competition, but also symbiosis, uh, a mutual kind of uh, beneficial relationship that exists between those organizations. So yeah. those are, that's sort of the big frame for me of why I, I think about uh, ecclesial ecologies. In the midst of a period in which the kinds of things that have defined churches— um, have previously been defining ourselves against one another. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. well, I saw this when I was uh, doing my research in Seattle. You know, the, the the evangelical churches define themselves against the progressive churches, mm-hmm. and the progressive churches define themselves against Mars Hill. Um, <laughs> you know, but, and that was just a real clear sense of uh, contrast. But in, in an increasingly sort of post-Christian or secular environment, um, those distinctions become less significant yeah. in, in contrast to— the clear distinction between all those who put their faith in Jesus and the broader yeah. uh, social environment. So mm-hmm. it's both a timely, for me, sort of metaphor and and a deeply theological and sociological uh, way of thinking about mm. um, measuring the church. It also is sort of—I'll just say this last thing. You know, There's there was several decades um, that have mostly kind of come to a close where a lot of the church was preoccupied with questions about church growth. How do we grow— how do we maximize our impact? Which which have tended to be sort of uh, just about the local congregation as in its own conquest or empire right, or right. growth, um, which again I don't I don't see as very helpful theologically, um, and an ecological approach is a way that actually postures the pastor here to see the pastor there as an ally, as mm. a colleague, um, as a coworker in the gospel, rather than as a, a competitor.
0: Mm. So. I love that. That's, uh, and I've heard you speak uh, a couple years ago on on some of that, and it was really interesting to see um, some of the key similarities and differences between churches in yeah. our area, yeah. in particular, but also how we, yeah, we complement each other and we round each other out, and how we yeah. can work together and all yeah. that kind of stuff. We definitely. Um, need each other, and yeah, so appreciate yeah. The, the the kind of thought and the theology behind that, and all that kind of stuff. One of the ways I've I've tried
2: to articulate that is is to recognize that the gospel is more multifaceted and beautiful and yeah. rich in its in its significance than any one local congregation mm-hmm. or theological tradition can express. Um, so I like to say, you know, we need all kinds of churches to make a, a manifold witness mm-hmm. to an inexhaustible gospel. It's, it's a way of saying, look, the, the Episcopalians do something really well that's important that we don't do as well, and the Catholics and, and the Baptists and the non-denominationalists and the, you know, all the, the various uh, expressions, they're saying something true about the gospel, they're, manif- they're living out something true mm-hmm. about the gospel that can't be done. One church just can't say everything at 10. <laughs> yeah. Um, the mm-hmm. way that one church, you know, so the, the diversity of the church actually is a testament to the richness of the gospel from my yeah. perspective. All
0: right. You got to repeat that phrase again. What oh, was sure. That? Yeah. Manifold. Uh,
2: yeah. 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 Um, we need all kinds of churches to make a manifold witness to an inexhaustible gospel.
0: Oh mm-hmm. man. Write that down. That's mm-hmm. good. All right. Um, Well, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and uh, again, ask you to unpack something that you said earlier. So you wrote a book called Church Planning and Post-Christian Soil, where you studied how churches were engaging uh, the post-Christian context in Seattle. That was a Mm -hmm. term post-Christian that you used a little bit earlier. Um, So according to a Barna study, this is something we've been talking a little bit around here about at Blockhawk and um, in some different meetings. Uh, There was a study from Barna in 2019 that Seattle was the 10th most post-Christian city in America, but Madison came in uh, at 11th, just one spot behind Seattle, which I think a lot of us were surprised by. Um, So can you explain what are we talking about when we use that term post-Christian?
2: Sure, sure. And I use it in the title of my book, so I I ought to (laughs) to be able to say what I mean by it. Uh, it's used in various ways, uh, and sort of loosely. Often, it doesn't it doesn't only mean one thing, but it broadly refers to sort of the the recognition that um, the people and places of our country are not as Christian as they used to be. In okay. terms of uh, what sociologists sociologists measure, which is belief you know belief in certain particular Christian things mm-hmm. has been on the the decline. Practice, so going to church and doing other uh, you know Christian things has been on the decline. And affiliation, which has really been the most significant uh, and steepest decline. So that'd be sort of the corollary to the rise of the nuns. the, the nothing in particular is yep the n o
0: n e that's right yeah thank no, you for no yeah. religion not yeah. the n u n the unaffiliated nuns, so, would be yeah. really
2: the the way sociologists tend to put yeah. it so recognizing our place as post Christian is a way of saying look things aren't the way they used to be mm. um, and the defaults and there's another phrase that sometimes gets thrown around post Christendom um, which is more complicated and I want to unpack it all the way but is a way of recognizing we're sort of in a different phase or era. Of the way the broader uh, culture is related to Christianity as an identity or institution. Uh, and one way I, I, mean, I think about this is, whereas in some places in the country, maybe the South, um, and in many places of the country 20 years ago, 30 years ago, being a Christian came with some social cachet. Mm. Right. Um, in many places in the country, Madison and, and more secular places, um, you're, you're now at a net zero or a negative sort of cachet or um, sort of social capital uh, in the broader culture w- if you are identified outspoken as a Christian. So that's, mm. that's a significant shift. Mm. Um, in the Barner research, though, just to, since you raised that, yeah. they're measuring a specific set of criteria, which are mostly—they're they're really just measuring things that are more or less secular. So um, 16 criteria, including things like, are you an atheist? Have you never made a commitment to Jesus? Have you not attended a church in the last year? Or have you not read the Bible in the last week? Mm-hmm. So they've got all these criteria. Yep. And what they found in Madison, this was 2019, was that 54% of those that they surveyed met nine or more of their 6 16 criteria. Wow. So, you know, that's, that's a majority um, that they would call a post-Christian person, mm-hmm. um, which means an overall post-Christian environment. But I'll, let me throw one more data point yeah. out there, because yeah. this is... Um, newer just came out a couple months ago, I think, through PRRI, um, Public Research Religion Institute, something like that. <laughs> uh, and they did uh, the US Religion Census. So this is 2020 data, just came out. And they found that in Dane County, uh, 40% of residents are religiously unaffiliated, mm. which yeah, that, that might not come as a shock to folks here, mm. you know, if, if you know your neighbors, you know, the, your colleagues outside of the church. Uh, but that's compared to 23% overall in the U S wow. so okay. Madison is much less religiously affiliated than the country as a whole. Um, and that's basically what you'll see is a lot of the sort of spike there's, there's a lot of variation regional and especially urban, um, variation on sort of the percentages of the unaffiliated. So for that reason, I would say, yeah, Madison is uh, sort of leading edge of that post-Christian sort of trend. Uh, so yeah, Wow, interesting. Mm.
1: As we kind of continue, what do you, how, just like, you know, the normal listener, um, what does that mean for like five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road? What are, what will that, how will that play Mm. out? And what are ways that we can begin to, yeah, continue to learn and engage our neighbors in a way that reflects where they're really at?
2: That's, that's a great question. I mean, what it, what I anticipate, uh, frankly, is that that number will probably keep creeping up it will probably reach a plateau at some point. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like we're going down to zero. Um, you know, this is sort of the, the old secularization thesis is that basically religion will die. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some, um, you know, some data that suggests that 40% actually might be sort of the generational plateau. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, certain areas will have higher, higher numbers than others. I mean, I think broadly for ecclesial ecologies, it means there will be a lot of churches closing, uh, continued denominational decline. And with that, um, and this is what's actually exciting to me, um, a wide-scale reevaluation of how, how we ought to be uh, God's people, how we ought to do church, for example. Um, and I mean, yeah, a whole set of questions that lead to a, a lot of actually promising innovation. So this is why when I did my research in Seattle and have come now, you know, to Madison, I'm trying to figure some of those questions out about the broader U.S. context by looking at places that are a little bit further down the line. Um, and I do think, I mean, Seattle's probably a couple clicks ahead of Madison uh, as far as going down the line. But I, th- I think, I mean, there's other trends happening too. For example, I mean, this is relevant to Blackhawk. Uh, fewer people are going to church altogether. But the people who are going to church are more and more going to big churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's a degree of consolidation. Um, there are, of course, other, other things related to that. Uh, but th- as far as what it means to sort of live out, I mean, you can no longer just take for granted the sort of ways that the broader cultures, another part of the sort of post-Christendom or post-Christian realities, especially in places that have a legacy of religious identity. Madison does, Seattle doesn't. I mean, Catholic and Lutheran identities are a big sort of part of the water here for those who are, who've been here more than five years, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And with that kind of imagination, you sort of expect and anticipate that the broader cultural environment will more or less train people in or support people in broadly Christian values or attitudes. Um, That's less and less the case. And so, on the flip side, churches and, and Christian households need to be more and more deliberate about how they are um, doing more than the Sunday gathering, right? Mm. How they're forming uh, yeah. a world and a social um, environment in which to raise people up, uh, not only with sort of an awareness of what Christians believe, but like an, a social environment in which it's plausible to believe it. Mm. Uh, this is something Charles Taylor in a secular age is, is sort of pinpointed on on. The, this point in human history has actually never happened before where mm. uh, all positions of belief are fragile, and belief in the transcendent was just another option like any other. Mm. I mean, most cultures around the world and throughout most of human history, the transcendent in one form or another has been sort of taken for granted, even though a few people would sort of have an al- you know, alternative idea. Anyway, so those are, those are big, okay. big sort of contextual
1: One of the things that some of us have been talking around here is about this attitude shifting from like, come and see, like, Come to a church building yes. and see us worship. Yeah. You know, we want to invite friends to a church building, which you know can be definitely good. Um, but then maybe shifting that model a little bit to go and be right. Yeah. So how can I, instead of trying to trying to take people to this church building, but how can I be the church in my the communities, yes. in my workplace, in my neighborhood, in my parent, the parenting groups, the book clubs yeah. down the block, and um, and how do we even shift our daily rhythms, our yep. weekly rhythms mm-hmm. as? as people of God to reflect that new kind of value. Completely
2: agree. It's like almost like you read my notes that I was prepping actually, (laughs) Tiffany. Um, (laughs) I think that uh, the, You know, I had a pastor I interviewed in my Seattle research who said there's a mosque in his neighborhood, and he walked by it for 15 years before he realized that's how a lot of people feel about a church. Like, Mm. that's a thing for other people, (laughs) you know? Um, And so church, whereas many people still today grew up in church, um, the the statistics are actually pretty significant about how non-religiosity is stickier than religiosity. And by what I I mean by that is people who are raised— in a religious home are like maybe 50-50 going to be religious when they grow up. Mm. People who are raised in a non-religious home Mm. are more than 50% likely, like I forget what it is, but Mm. maybe 70% Mm. likely to remain non-religious. And so that means a lot of people growing up with basically no religious uh, literacy awareness. And so a church building on the one hand, um, they might not have as many associations attached to it uh, except for those they get in the media and the public discourse. But, on the other, it's just not some it's not a going home to a familiar kind of thing that they remember fondly when they're a kid. so the importance I think, as you pointed out, Tiffany, of not putting all of our chips in the come and see come to our space where we can sort of tell you about what we believe and show you how we um how we live our lives, but going to and actually, I think i mean I'll put this on the table. I've put a lot of stake in the importance of the neighborhood as a primary place of Christian witness. Um, mm-hmm. And this varies across different Christian traditions. I mean, some traditions are like come and see traditions, and others are like go and be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think overall, though, the, the general trend needs to be Christians asking themselves, and churches have, asked, have, have used this question for a couple of decades now, how would the neighborhood feel if we left? Would they even notice mm-hmm. if we left? Right. Well, I think like, neighbors need to ask themselves <laughs> that. Yeah. If all the Christians in this neighborhood moved yeah. out, would anybody care? Yeah. Um, and in order for Christians to, you know, if if the primary place of Christian witness is the neighborhood, the and the, the primary expression of the church is not the building, it's the people, then for my stake, um the the Christians in a neighborhood would be much better served in their witness if they knew the other Christians in the neighborhood, regardless of whether or not they go to the same church or are part of the same denomination. And that those Christians in the neighborhood should be asking what it's got up to in our neighborhood and among mm-hmm. the lives of our neighbors, and how do mm-hmm. we bear a faithful, beautiful witness here? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, that really pretty dramatically reorients the, the life of Christians around living out life as God's people versus sort of making churches work, mm-hmm. which is what many, many church mm-hmm. folks, um, you know, are sort of obsessed with, especially in declining churches, is sort of how do we keep our churches going, Well, those are practical questions that need to be addressed, and there are actually some ways to do that. But the bigger questions are, I think, for our moment, what does it mean to live uh, sustainably as God's people in the midst of this cultural Mm -hmm. environment? And I think we do that best together, and Mm -hmm. we do that best locally. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah.
0: mm -hmm. Uh, Chris, I'm curious, have you seen any differences in your own kind of research or as you've been doing even some of this stuff with your students between like Madison as a city and some of the surrounding more rural areas, specifically when it comes to some of this idea of, um, Madison being mm-hmm. pretty post-Christian yep. and a little less religiously affiliated, all that kind of stuff. Any kind of differences or distinctions that, that you've seen?
2: Sure. Well, I didn't, I haven't done my own polling on this. Um, so I'm sort of extrapolating from mm-hmm. what I know of, uh, other regions and, you know, data in general, by and large, um, urban areas tend to be more secular, um, suburban areas somewhat more religious. Uh, and this this is related not just to sort of uh, the residential type, but other factors such as class, politics, and um, race. That's so true. the uh, yeah, I mean the city is going to be younger, that's the other big one age. Mm. really, really big one. I mean, the generational cohorts are significantly different on religious identity and practice. So I think if you put those layers over, politics and class and age, especially, that explains a lot of the difference. So yeah, there would be a difference um, between the overall sort of religiosity among folks who are living on the Isthmus versus those who are living in Middleton. Um, And, you know, again, some of that the the i'm not going to get overly political here, but there's been this sort of realignment of politics since the the eighties the seventies which has more or less meant that folks who who tend to be um white suburbanites are more likely to be right of center politically and people who are right or center politically are more likely to be religious mm-hmm. um just across the map so that that does shift things but even in uh you know like madison suburbs the the numbers are not going to be um It's not going to be this sort of, well, we're the Midwest, everybody's kind of (laughs) pro-religion. I mean, if if folks know their suburban neighbors, that's not really uh, how I would—I wouldn't draw the uh,
0: difference that starkly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. So, yeah, maybe to bring things full circle a little bit, um, bring up this discussion about post-Christian, because I think that might be surprising to some of us that we live in this context where— Yeah, where some of the things that you described are are true. I know, like, at least me growing up in this area and in the Midwest, um, we have the sense that like, oh, we're we're Midwest nice, and everyone's pretty religious and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is that the context here where we live and in the place where God has planted us has um, definitely changed over a number of years. And so that's really interesting to me for a lot of the reasons that you're talking about because we've more or less been doing – church so to speak for Mm -hmm. um in the same kind of similar ways for a long time too but if our context is changing and if our neighbors and our communities um are changing then uh, probably starts to look differently how we begin to engage them and try to try to bring the good news but just be be a church and be a faith community in in these contexts given the changes so yeah i really appreciate you drawing um some of that kind of stuff out
2: yeah you know the Barna data, so we were talking about the 2019 data two years earlier. So in 2019, Madison was 11th most post-Christian, mm. but in 2017, it was 17th. Interesting. So there there has been a, a significant change over the last, and, and I don't know if the number has moved, they haven't uh, released any new data along those lines, mm-hmm. but a lot of this, I suspect, I mean, there are there's a broad disaffiliation, which you can talk about causes for that if you're interested, but... Specific to a place like Madison, uh, you all must know Madison is booming, and it's especially drawing in a lot of sort of young up-and-comers, mm-hmm. um, which, as an age cohort and as sort of a class cohort, tend to be n- more non-religious. Mm-hmm. So the where it, where folks who um, maybe who have second generation, third generation Madisonians like their their concept of Madison is true to how mm-hmm. it was, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, but Madison is growing. A lot of people are coming here. A lot of people are transitory, another major factor that goes yeah, with non yeah. city. You know, the university students are shaping that overall um, character, the character, the religious character. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the reasons why after I had studied Seattle, and in fact, in that original book, I said, this research is probably most relevant to places like San Francisco, Portland, Austin, Boulder, and Madison. <laughs> oh. Okay. Uh, so I was like, oh well, I'm in Dubuque. I should go test test out how close mm-hmm. I was or what what yeah. what really um what's happening in Madison. Mm-hmm. And there are a limited number of some of these sort of magnet cities for young people who are sort of upwardly mobile. And Madison's one of them. And so that's shaping the whole ecology. To your question earlier about, I mean when I originally set up my interest in studying the whole county, I was partially aware of the heart, the stark divisions in the country between urban and rural settings. Madison um, represents sort of that uh, midwestern progressive city, and but the count the counties outside of uh, Madison, Milwaukee, are pretty um, conservative, red, et cetera. And so, actually, I mean, Madison. Uh, excuse me, Wisconsin. Uh, Based on the research, I think it was Kathleen Kramer, uh, political scientist at University of Wisconsin Madison. Basically, it was sort of a um, early signal of what we saw in the twenty sixteen elections, which really drew that stark division between the urban and the rural areas, Mm. um, Wisconsin. So, Wisconsin was like a test case of what was happening nationally. And I thought to myself, maybe Dane County can be like my test case of the test case because <laughs> I'm only one person yeah. here. I can't research all of Wisconsin <laughs> yeah, myself. Yeah. Um, but what I've largely what I've found, though, is all of Dane County is in the shadow of Madison. Hmm. There's a lot. There's people. I try to take my students to like the corners. How far out can I still be in the county? Hmm. But there's still a lot of people commuting in yeah, yeah. Uh, and commuting out. And, and so I haven't found there. There are maybe a couple of these smaller towns that feel um more sort of traditional rural conservative religious. But not it's not as strong a, a contrast as I would have would have guessed.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um well Chris, as we uh maybe start heading toward the end here a little bit, I'm curious, um you've been working with churches, especially in Madison and in Dane County, um, through these different projects for a while now. Um, And we've talked about like we we need to be changing how we engage with our neighborhoods and um, as churches and how we're training people and forming people and all that kind of stuff. So um, what have you seen? What are some innovative things that you've seen individuals or groups or churches doing here in the Madison area or maybe even when you were in Seattle and, and, and studying things there? Um, creative or innovative things that they've been doing to, yeah, to engage people with the good news of the gospel, to be a church community together, mm-hmm. to form people. Um, anything that you've been really excited about uh, in some of that lately? Definitely. Definitely. I'll highlight, I'll highlight a few.
2: I, I guess I maybe want to first frame up this. You know, I've talked a lot about sort of the statistical declines and sort of like <laughs> this can feel um, like, oh, no, things are bad and they're getting worse. Um, I actually think, I, I mean, with the Missio Madison cohort and with other groups, we spend a lot of time in Luke 10. Uh, in Luke 10, Jesus gives his disciples a different paradigm for seeing their context. The fields are white to harvest. And you should pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the field. Now go. I'm sending you. Mm-hmm. I mean, this that is just an a exact flip of the way of seeing Like things are bleak out there. This is actually a ripe moment. Um now, Jesus gives his disciples no illusions that every door you knock on is going to be like, woohoo. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not. I mean, that's, that's actually not even what Jesus's project is with his disciples. I mean, he's sending them out as sort of an advance guard to see where the kingdom's already welcome. Um, that's actually, I think, the kind of posture we need in yeah. this season, which is uh, to be deliberately engaging. And I'll talk about some of the ways I, I see churches and Christians doing that to be deliberately engaging in fresh ways beyond the boundaries of our, of our churches, but not just in sort of a recruitment mode, like like you were saying, Tiffany, you know, it's not just invite folks to church, which is fine. And actually invitations still matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually I would say not just a recruitment mode, but more so a discernment mode, as I was saying before, you know, how c- it is, it is in, I'm convinced it is in relationship with people who reflect the broader features of our context that we actually can faithfully discern an answer to the question, how are we to be God's people for our time and place? Mm. And so as we you know, engage, we go into, as Jesus says in Luke, uh, Luke 10, every, go into every town and neighborhood, every, every town and village. Um, our question is, how do we um, discover where God's kingdom is already ahead of us? Yeah. How do we then uh, live our lives in response to that? So some of the things I see happening as a way to sort of um follow that call a couple of things that are sort of programmatic i suppose and then other things that are more organic uh i really love the work that john anderson a uh, former a black hawker mm-hmm. uh is doing with collaboration project as i mentioned things like that are happening in at least 40 cities across the country i'm doing another research study on that mm. um and one of the things that uh is true in with collaboration project and in many of these other uh Networks across the city are things like the Adopt a School partnerships. Mm -hmm. These are a way that, you know, churches and even uh, smaller groups of churches are saying, um, we're just here for the good of the city. And it's not sort of a a bait and hook evangelistic, but it is creating space for a kind of relationship and witness that doesn't currently exist. Mm -hmm. Um, A second major thing that I think is actually quite important, and, you know, I wrote a book on church planting, so of course I'm going to say this. (laughs) Um, I mean, Madison. Thirty-four churches were planted in Madison between 2010 and 2019 that were still going in 2019. Mm-hmm. So church planting um, is, uh, in the sociological sense, church plants, new churches always are what sociologists call they have a institutional imprint. They reflect the moment in which they're they're planted. Mm-hmm. Sure, and that means we need a constant cycle of churches uh, closing that were you know imprinted by culture 150 years ago, and I love to see churches like that reinvent themselves, so I'm not like out with the old, and with the Mm -hmm. new, but church planting and church planters are forced to and deliberately asking the questions, um, how are we to be God's people Mm -hmm. in and for this time and place? So church planting is really a a faithful um, practice, Um, and with that, looking for new, um, you know, new types of buildings, new financial models, new leadership models, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So those are two sort of you know, sort of structural program ways I've seen things happening. Um, I do think the, the really big question related to evangelism right now is in our scattered and lonely society, how do we actually find ourselves in the kind of mutual relationships with people whom God is seeking mm-hmm. that allow us to, to even have somewhere to start, yeah. right? Sure. Um, and so for us, I think that largely means how do we find, either find and join or create the kinds of um, non-territorial communities in which it's possible for others— this is sort of the witness of John 17 and others— for others to see uh, how we love one another. Mm. I was just listening to this really fascinating podcast about how rare it is there are basically the evacuation of all spaces in which people know one another outside of their affinity groups. Mm. Um, And this is why— Neighborhoods matter so much um, from my perspective because it's one of those places that people will still see value in creating that kind of community, even though they live in, they not only live in filter bubbles on their social media, they live in filtered communities Mm -hmm. um, in all their other spaces. So neighborhoods in some way, although they can be sorted class and and otherwise, they they still hold some promise there. So, Um, so. Finding, joining, and creating the kinds of community. And so here's here are some of the innovations that I see yeah, yeah. Uh, folks are doing along those lines. Um, joining neighborhood associations, mm. uh, you know, or joining other kinds of groups. Uh, this is a big pivot, actually. I'll just say this. Um, a pivot from creating to joining. Mm-hmm. Um, especially hard, I'll say this as someone who's worked at a couple of large churches, especially hard for large churches to think about joining rather than creating. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is... It is um, the testimony of Jesus' practice and his disciples' practice of hospitality was not always offering hospitality, it was just as often receiving hospitality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he sends, in Luke 10, he sends his disciples out to see who will receive them, not to go set up a ministry <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and see if anybody comes. Um, so so looking for where are the places where people might actually already gather, where we could be present, build a relationship, yeah. um, and... Ideally, we do this in twos, we do this in threes, so there's, there's a visible, um, look how they love one another, um, as, as John emphasizes. Um, so that's that posture of looking to join the community as guests. Uh, I'm thinking of a church, um, pastor of this church as part of Missio Madison right now, that during the pandemic chose to move out of their building and move into homes um, and to, to meet in neighborhoods, um, and then their, their larger gatherings are in parks. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there, there's kinks along the way, like, how does this actually work logistically, leadership, financial models? These are all really important questions, mm. but that's an example, I think, of the kind of imagination that we need. Yeah. Um, and finally, I'll, another one, this is out in Monona, a pastor who uh, I brought my students over. Or he invited us, us over as part of my class. Uh, and showed us that in his backyard, which was exposed to the neighborhood, so his backyard was exposed to the neighborhood, he, had, he built this little smash burger hut, <laughs> um, you know, where the, the smells and the sights and the sounds were evident to the sidewalk. Um, and, you know, that was a way of creating mm. a space. Mm. Um, now, he's that, that was a way of hosting a space. But it's it's a very different thing. Um, and this is hard for church staff people, especially, to, to get your head around, but very different thing to relate to a neighbor as a neighbor mm. than it is to relate to anyone as a pastor yeah. mm-hmm. or as a professional Christian or something like that mm-hmm. um, and so in our neighborhoods, even if we're pastors, uh, even if we're you know staff or whatever, the first relationship the first um, way in which we are in relationship to our neighbor is he's my neighbor, she's my neighbor, mm. not he's the pastor of so and so right um and so that that creates that possibility or opens up the possibility of there being the kinds of relationship in which we not only can bear a faithful witness, model Christian love, but as I, as I keep trying to bring to the fore here, ask the really, really pressing questions of our cultural moment um, and take those interactions with the neighbor, at the neighborhood association, at, you know, with the local principal, take those into our Christian discernment. How is God calling us to be God's people in this time? What does that mean for our lifestyles, mm-hmm. for our habits, for our budgets, for our jobs, mm. for the ways that we have, what, what, what kinds of buildings we have, or if we have buildings, yeah. for the financial models, for the, the leadership structures, like all this stuff, from my perspective, is better informed by talking to people who have nothing to do with church yeah. than by like a great strategy session. Mm. So
0: those
2: are those are some of the encouraging signs. And really there is a lot happening um, what do they say? A crisis is the mother of invention, something like mm-hmm. that necessity. I suppose mm-hmm. it is. And this is, this is actually, from my perspective, not just a crisis, it's a move of the spirit, inviting the church to mm. rediscover uh, itself as a people who um, journey with God as God engages with uh, humanity and particularly with whatever place we
0: find ourselves in. So. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing all those things. I love, I mean, there's so much to think about there. So if you're listening um, a lot to digest, a lot to, to think through. But I, I love that invitation to not always be pulling people into our own spaces, but as we go into our own neighborhoods, just be having a discerning spirit as we're in mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. with God as to like, what is God already doing in my yeah. neighborhood that yeah. I can join in on? What are, um, yeah, things that I'm already involved with or or like our daughter just started elementary school Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. we're thinking about what it looks like to be involved in uh, school life and all that kind of stuff. But how can I enter into other people's worlds and yeah, just figure out what it looks like to to love and to be Jesus in those spaces rather than um, always relying on a church invite or or something like that. So yeah, I love that. Just using our imaginations Mm -hmm. to be, Be praying and reflecting on what God is currently doing and in in our places, and how we can just faithfully um, show up and offer offer Jesus in that way. So um, I love that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Chris, one of the things I've gotten from hearing you speak a few times, uh, and it's uh, definitely coming through in this conversation today too, is that uh, you're not just a professor or a researcher, but you're a Christ follower that deeply loves the church and. Um, wants to see God's kingdom spread and, and advance here in, in the Madison area. So yeah, as you think about the work that you're doing and um, you're in a relationship with a lot of different pastors and churches, what are things that you hope might be increasingly true of churches in the Madison area, maybe 10, 20 years from now, what, what kind of dreams or things has God put on your heart in that way?
2: Absolutely. Thank you for asking that question. Um,
0: I have to say, you know,
2: I, I don't work for a church now, which I have in the past, but it's been one of the joys of this season of being uh, a contributor to the life of the church without having a particular stake uh, in any congregation or, or denomination. So it's really, it's been a significant joy getting to um, sort of dream about the ecology as the focus of our work. With that in mind, what I um, what my prayer is, what my hope is, is really that Jesus's prayer is answered here. Jesus's prayer in John 17, um, that they may be one so that the world will know that uh, you have sent me and that you have loved them as you have loved me. Um, John 17, a really rich passage, Jesus prays for the church to be um, in it, to represent an uncommon unity for the world, the watching world. And so uh, that's that's a big part of my hopes. Uh, in fact, the work we're doing with Awaken Dane include, we did a little uh, survey of like, what's the state of unity and collaboration right now, and we'll be doing follow-ups along okay. the way. Um, but a lot of that has to do with sort of how do we talk about and think about and relate to Christians of other traditions. Um, I think the Bible is really clear that uh, we are kin through Christ uh, in, in Jesus' death, uh, the wall of hostility has been torn down. So that sense of um, recognizing one another as kin, as collaborators uh, and coworkers in the gospel, I hope that, that spirit of openness. Mm-hmm. And as a result, um, all kinds of sort of organizational and sort of organic collaborations. So, you know, I would love to see Collaboration Project as an organization thrive. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see, frankly, I'd love to see every neighborhood um, have... The church is there in in some sort of um, higher degrees of trust and collaboration with one another i'd love to see you know, i'd love to see Christians on every block kind of know know one another mm-hmm. um and and be entered into the discernment questions about what's got up to how how can we we as neighbors um bear a faithful witness uh, here um, yeah that's that's really the the big big thing i I actually am quite encouraged. I mean, when I did my research, especially in 2018 and 19, uh, as, I, as I shared or you mentioned earlier, the polarization is pretty significant here as it is everywhere. But a lot has actually happened in the last few years. Mm. Again, I'll do, through collaboration project, through the grants that I've been part of. Um, and I just think the spirit is opening up, this sense of sort of charity and forbearance and uh, hope across the church in many ways that I mean ten years from now I would love folks you know the church landscape in Madison to just be like wow things are so so much different here I'd love you know I, I, I hope that uh, the same thing happens elsewhere or that people are saying gosh the, the vibe here among the churches is just so beautiful and refreshing that's yeah. how do we do that in our mm-hmm. city or mm-hmm. in our town uh, that all for all for that sort of uh, witness to, well, gosh, we are, we are in this hyperpolarized moment, and uh, the world needs a witness of, of, of a gospel of reconciliation. Uh, too often, basically, our churches um, are just a, a replication of the divisions in our society, yeah. uh, but I think through focus on the local, through the neighborhood, through the kinds of um, co-discernment efforts, uh, the church not just in local congregations, but as an ecology can give a different kind of witness mm. and hold out the possibility of a beautiful community. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's a beautiful vision. Mm-hmm. May, may it be so. Um, well, Tiffany, I'm going to put you on the spot just for a second okay. as we as we wrap up. Yeah. As our pastor of spiritual mm-hmm. formation here, Maybe a similar question. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you wake up thinking about these sorts of things for our church every yeah. single day. So, um, yeah, any just kind of reflections as you've heard Chris yeah. speak about some of these things or, or things that you would hope might be true of our own church yeah. over the next uh, five, ten, however yeah. many years?
1: Yeah, that's good. Thanks for asking that, Chris. Um, well, as I think about the kind of person that we're becoming and then that creates the kind of community that we are, Um You know, my hope and prayer, even in this season, is that we would become a people who are more curious, who um, lead with asking questions and lead with compassion, and um, that we would be people who would make really strategic choices about how we spend our time. And, um, you know, even as as, as the pastor who is creating these opportunities for groups and for um, learning and all this stuff. But my hope is that man, people would spend so much more time in their neighborhoods in their workplaces with their families than, than they would, um, in a church building. And so, um, yeah, I, I agree that vision of people loving one another. Well, I think that that's actually our greatest, um, our greatest opportunity for, uh, sharing the love of Jesus, right. Is Mm -hmm. that people would view how we live and want that. And, um, the greatest apologetic. And so, um, so that's so what matters is how we spend our time, what what's shaping our desires, how we're, you know, what we're putting inside of ourselves and, you know, what kind of how we're treating one another. And so, um, yeah, but I'm really excited actually. I think, you know, I hear um, different people from our congregation talking about things that are going on in their lives and stories of how God's moving and, and um, that makes me really excited. And so I'm just praying that God would continue to, to lead our church in that direction, especially as we continue to part with other churches and um, learn how we can love best love and serve one another.
0: Yeah. As the greater way pastor, I would echo so many of those things. I've only been in this role for a few months now, but um, I, yeah, I long for us to be a site and a church that grows as we engage our neighborhoods. And like we've been talking about, have a, a faithful presence and represent Jesus well in our neighborhoods. I live uh, basically across the street. And every single week, it seems like uh, 10 more houses popped up in these neighborhoods that didn't even exist 10 years ago. And so we have this unique opportunity to to love people and to see, um, you know, the houses are new, the people are new yeah. in these areas, but God has been here for a long time. So what are the ways that he's at work in people's lives? And it's been so fun to meet our neighbors and uh, and to see some of that, just awesome people. So uh, for us to grow as a site and how we're, we're loving these neighborhoods and, um, and showing up as, as families and as groups in, in our neighborhoods uh, to, to represent Jesus, I'm excited for, um, for what could happen with all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, and hey, just quick plug, we didn't plan on doing this, but uh, starting at the very end of January, we are going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount um as the teaching team and so and really a lot of what tiffany said is the reason for that we uh we haven't necessarily lost our beliefs as the american church but we've lost our christ-like posture as mm-hmm. to what it looks like to to be a faith community um in in the world around us and so we're going to revisit some of that and what jesus talks about with mm-hmm. those things so mm-hmm. hope you'll join us for that um well chris i got one last question for you but thanks so much for uh for jumping in on this conversation. Um, I'm going to be thinking about all this stuff all weekend. I feel like we could, we could talk for a long time about all these things. But, uh, again, thanks so much for the work that you're doing and the ways that you're equip- equipping churches and pastors in and, and this area. I know our own church has benefited from that. We've um, participated in uh, many of the talks that you've given and um, things with collaboration project and all these different kinds of things. So really, really grateful for that. Um, if people, Chris, are interested in learning more about any of those uh, projects that you mentioned with Awaken Dane or Missio Madison, um, any of those different kinds of things, what uh, what can they do? Where can they go to learn more about that? Sure. Well, let me just say, Chris and Tiffany, thank you for this invitation. It's been really yeah. fun
2: and uh, grateful to, to partner with and um, see you all flourish as well. Uh, you can... Google those terms, Awaken Dane or Missio Mm -hmm. Madison, if you want to know about those in particular. There's a website also for Dane Church's project. But probably the simplest way to funnel your way to any of those would be either through my Twitter handle, Crispy James, or uh, my website,
0: CrispyJames.com. So those those are the simplest ways. All right. Well, that's easy. Um, well, let's uh, wrap things up there. If you have questions or you want to process with Tiffany or I or any of our different pastors um, about yeah, what this could look like in your own life or your own family or your own group. Uh, we've had some really fun conversations lately with um, some people in apartment complexes and, and different situations that are doing just amazing things to engage their neighbors, uh, people from all sorts of different backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. And so it's been really fun just to be able to hear your stories and and pray for you. So if that's you, uh, if there's anything that we can do, we'd just love to meet you and to hear more of what God has put on your heart or or what you've been up to. So don't hesitate to reach out to either of us. You can also email us at podcast at blockhawkchurch.org as well but we hope this has been helpful a lot to think about um chris thanks again for uh for joining us and for being here tiffany it's always fun so have a good rest of your weekend too so uh let's leave it at that and have a merry christmas you guys happy holidays and we'll see you in the new year god bless